It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 311, The Feast of Tabernacles. All right, if you're following along in the chronological Bible, we're actually skipping where Peter catches the fish to pay for his taxes. We'll do that next week or soon after. Um, As for this episode, we're headed up to Jerusalem um, in John 7. In fact, I think this whole episode will be John 7, So, uh, but we'll get back to the catch next week. Now, the Apostle John has a connection to the priesthood. Um, Some have suggested he's a relative of the high priest himself, Uh, and this is why we have so many John-only accounts of Jesus in Jerusalem. Back in Jerusalem, uh, and due to another feast, uh, this isn't perfect, but it's safe to say we are another year into Jesus' ministry. Uh, We'll update the titles of these uh, these episodes to 29 AD instead of 28 AD, not because it's January 1st, but it's clearly the next trip in the following year to Jerusalem. Um, this is this is some people have even said that Jesus' ministry is not three years, um, but nearly everyone historically has said Jesus has three years of ministry, and the reason they know this is because a lot of John's accounts where he's actually in Jerusalem, and it mentions the feast. The feasts are how you measure the calendar um, in, in, in Jewish times back then. Uh, it's because they have a lunar calendar, and you know those times in, of the season based upon the feast. Uh, so that's kind of how where we're at right now, and this is the Feast of Tabernacles. To understand the context of this episode, we have to kind of mirror the biblical order, understand the author, the culture feast of the day, and bounce it against the timelines. Uh, the scene is rich with meaning as it's the Feast of Tabernacles, and everything Jesus says and does has multiple layers of meanings. He actually pops in and out of this whole festival. He, it's like he doesn't even go, and then he does go, and when he does go, he's in the middle. He's in the middle of everything, and then he's teaching, and he disappears again, and he speaks again, um, and then it and then it goes on multiple days. So, um, it has this layers of meaning. In, in John 6, Jesus was just questioned about uh, teaching that they had to drink his blood and eat his flesh. And, and I even said many of his, it even says many of his disciples abandoned him. And this is prior to Jesus headed to Tyre and Sidon for a break, which kind of emphasized because you can see it in the chronological account. But we have to understand the mindset of John, the author. He is pointing out the sacrificial love of Jesus and the aspect of family. He's probably more prone, I would say, um, to, to point out the maybe the, the humanity of Jesus or the um, how people do leave Jesus. Uh, you don't hear it as much in the other um, accounts. You know, he's, he'll, he has a real compassion. Uh, and, then, and then John is always constantly missioning Father God um, and, and all these aspects of how Jesus speaks uh, that, that God is his Father. Jesus only did what his Father showed him or told him to do. So this is the context of the book of John. Even his followers were questioning him, and he is being quite aggressive, actually, with his messaging. 
Uh, also, I find it amazing how only John speaks of these hard messages as if the other disciples were incapable of processing the hard messages, uh, probably because John had this strong love language and soft heart where he could handle it, but the others could not. Uh, I don't know. It's just a, That's conjecture probably. But after all, he was the only one who was at the cross and the only one leaning against Jesus at the Last Supper. All right, here we go. John 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders, they were looking for a way to kill him. But when the, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time has not yet come. For you, for you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? All right, so what's going on here? Jesus said he wouldn't go to the festival, but later on he actually does. Well, actually didn't say he wasn't going to go, but he did. <laughs> Whenever you find these discrepancies, you have to do a little bit of research. Uh, in this case, I just Googled, did Jesus lie in John 7.10? Uh, and added got questions, because often that site has a real quick answer. Um, for simple things like this. And this is the kind of stuff atheists looked for, right? Um, there's an entire article, article about it. Easy enough. We have a super simple point that refuting critics out there that says Jesus did sin by lying. Many of the original translations, remember, um, the Bible's been translated a hundred times over with all these languages. They have this phrase. And it actually, many of the original translations say, I am not yet going up to the festival. So this was, this yet uh, was in a, many of the original translations. And if that is, isn't interesting enough, we'll cover the prophetic meaning of this scene at the end of the episode. Jesus visited, but in no way would fulfill this feast, do it according to their terms, and he couldn't go because it actually has a prophetic meaning. He had to go... <laughs> A different route, which we'll explain more later. So, John seven twelve, Among the crowds, there was a widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Now, you know, there's three main festivals in Israel, and devout Jews would go to every festival in Jerusalem. I've heard accounts that Jerusalem fills to like a million people during these festival times. Now, Herod the Great made, Rome, uh, made Jerusalem such a magnificent city that it could have actually handled a million people. But regardless of that, it tells you that it was, it was like busting at the seams because of all of this, all the populace coming, all of the Jews, everyone's there. You know, so this is the scene. Now, I, I'm not saying Jesus pops in and there's a million people, but there has to be thousands and 
thousands wherever he shows up because Jerusalem is just crammed. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach them. The Jews there were amazed and said, how did this man get such learning without being taught? What I think is super, super interesting is that Jesus chooses time to reveal himself, something only the Father and the Son know of. Really, just the Father, and the Father told the Son when to show up, but in this case, it's right in the middle of the feast, and he appears right in their midst. <laughs> How do you miss him, right? He just shows up. <laughs> um, but this is clearly something, you know, get that, that only the Father knew the timing, right? You know, so there's something to be, something we're already paralleling. John seven sixteen. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Let not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it came from, not from Moses, but from the patriarchs who circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses cannot be broken. Why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging my mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? But he is pu speaking publicly, and why are they not saying a word to him? Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know that there is, but we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. And Jesus, still speak, teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him, and they said, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me, and you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Jesus, the, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? This dialogue is quite typical of the entire book of John. <laughs> There's just a lot of this, you know, you're trying to kill me. My father told me to do this. I only do what my father told me to do. Accusation after accusation. And Jesus's answers are just beyond their understanding. He seems to never answer the direct question. He seems to give a better answer. John 7:37. On the last day of the greatest day of the feast... Jesus stood up and in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit 
whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been yet given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And on hearing these words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said the Messiah. Jesus says these words as if in a booming, magnificent voice. Thirst, water, rivers of living water conduct the imagery of the tabernacles in the wilderness. In this case, Jesus is the living water, the rivers of life. <laughs> he is the bread in the wilderness. He is, he is the, the rivers of life. It's all imagery portraying him. Imagine how the spirit would have confirmed these words. The air must have been electric. John 7, 41. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Isn't that interesting? I mean, <laughs> it's all where he's from thing. I mean, Jesus could have clarified. <laughs> I mean, he could have like, hey guys, it's me. I was born in Bethlehem. I've been hanging out and, you know, I, I was in Nazareth for a while and now I'm in Galilee. But he, he knew the chatter. Uh, the chatter was not from believers. Um, and he chose to not correct them or prove his case because I, in my opinion, he's seeing it's those people who didn't believe, they were just looking for an excuse it didn't do any good to clarify and to prove himself to them because they weren't going to believe anyways. Um, it's just fascinating to me. You don't have to answer every question. <laughs> Jesus never did, um, much less clarify every statement or be your one to justify yourself. John seven forty five. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priest and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what has been, he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Hot-headed People are just fools. They can't be argued with. Nicodemus pursued a wise approach, but they pushed him and accused him of following Jesus. Proverbs fourteen sixteen: A wise man fears and shuns evil, but the fool is hot-headed and reckless. Nicodemus showed great wisdom with his response. Uh, it was also showing his maturity, too. Remember back in John 3.16 episode, Nicodemus was a seeker. And now he's maturing where he voices his opinion. <laughs> it's funny how they said, none of the Pharisees follow him. And then Nicodemus immediately goes, well, how can we accuse him without knowing all the facts? <laughs> Technically, he defends Jesus in a public display. Public statement of faith is is baptism. It's kind of like he went, he ramped up a little bit in his faith. But he backs down, you know, probably wisely backs down uh, when he sees the aggressiveness of these Pharisees. Um, you know, he's not fully in yet. He's not fully devoted until after the death of Jesus. Uh, but Nicodemus said, we got to give him credit. I mean, he took his next step. Um, of faith right now. He's maturing in his faith.
Um, he recognizes the insanity of those around him, um, but he can't run from the truth of Jesus's message. So let's end this episode, A Message to Kings, with the prophetic fulfillment of the meaning of the Feast of Israel and how Jesus fulfilled them. But at the same time, he didn't fulfill all of them. Okay, so it gets kind of deep, the whole, you know, prophetic fulfillment of the feast. Uh, let me explain. Um, there is layers and layers of scripture. Um, okay, easy one to explain. Um, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham's about to sacrifice Isaac on probably Mount Moriah or where the, where the cross, Calvary, future, you know, future cross is right there. It was a type and shadow or a type of uh, what was going to happen at Jesus at the cross. Okay. That was a prophetic picture. The father was about to sacrifice the son um, in obedience. Father God would allow his son to be sacrificed on the cross to fulfill the law over 2,000 years later. Okay. So that is an example of uh, a near and a far fulfillment. Um, Pentecost, that's a good one. The, the, the feast of Pentecost would be fulfilled later at the, uh, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on, at Pentecost. Multiple feasts of Israel, and, and let me explain the feast first. Um, okay, I live in the United States. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, um, the United States has tons of traditions, festivals, call them national holidays, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Fourth of July, um, Thanksgiving. Those are those are nationalized. Those those are for us to learn and um, and to repeat. Martin Luther King Day, President's Day. These are things to memorialize the great events of the past and to celebrate them and to never forget them and to never forget the lessons that were learned from uh, these people, these heroes, um, our history. Right. That's the purpose of holidays. That's the purpose of memorializing holidays. Israel has them, and they're almost all based upon Old Testament stories, Old Testament accounts, Old Testament miracles. Um, tabernacles is all based upon remembering the wilderness. Passover, that's a good one. So Passover in Egypt was a time when you put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost and, and around around the doors, the sides and the top of the door, um, to prevent the angel of death to come, that was going to come and destroy the firstborn over a family, over a household. Now, all the Egyptians lost their firstborns, while the Jews did not because they had the, over them the blood of the lamb. Who, who dies in Jerusalem and a couple years from our timeline here um, on the day of Passover, questionably at the very moment and the time that the high priest was killing the lamb of Passover was Jesus on a cross. Bam, fulfilling it. All of history, it's the, the near and the far fulfillment of Passover. Pentecost. When Pentecost happened in the Old Testament, um, and then when Pentecost came later, and the near and the far fulfillment. So let's go over the feast really quick and you can kind of see how 
you know, not just as their feast, but there's also fulfillment of the feast and something radical and hidden meaning that occurs later in history. It's that principle of Alpha and Omega. It's a principle of God hiding his patterns and fulfilling them. So if he did it for the spring feast, which he has, he will do it for the fall feast. I think it was Chuck Missler who said, um, there's twice as many prophecies about the end of the world than about the first coming of Jesus and his fulfillment of the law in this timeline that we're in now. And then he said, you are living in the greatest prophesied time in world history. <laughs> it was like, it, assuming you're the last generation. And it's just like, what? You know, like you might be able to look in the Bible and just read current events <laughs> for the next 40 years or whatever, um, if we're that close, right? 20 years, whatever. And how fascinating that, you know, that there might just be a war that mirrors that Ezekiel war that there's going to be. Um, and then, you know, you know, the rapture and the, everything after it's like, what? <laughs> it's just, it's, there's so much going on. So let's, let's do the feast really fast. Um, so you guys can kind of see where I'm going, uh, and to kind of understand, um, where, where all this takes us. All right, so let's start with the three spring feast. Uh, Passover pointed to the Messiah as our Passover lamb whose blood was shed for our sins. Uh, that's the easiest one to totally understand here. The feast of unleavened bread comes from Leviticus 23.6. It, it points to Jesus' sin, sinless life. Uh, it kind of points to him being the bread of life um, as if he's a, you know, a, a seed that was planted in the ground. <laughs> which was raised to life on the third day. Uh, first fruits, Leviticus 23.10. It points to the Messiah's resurrection. He is the, the, the first fruits of righteousness. Um, he was resurrected on the very day, uh, which is one of the reasons Paul refers to him in 1 Corinthians 15.20 as the first fruits of the dead. So that one's pretty simple to understand. Um, unleavened bread, Passover. Um, and, and this is the timeline, you know, of if you want to you know, Americanize it and call it Easter, right? Um, but then we get, um, you know, the next one. It's 50 days after uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's Pentecost. Um, the church was actually established this day. 3,000 responded to Peter's sermon they spoke in tongues. The Holy Spirit uh, was just poured down upon them. And, and this is when the church age starts. Um, so Pentecost is fulfilled. And, and it's funny, I think if you go back to the original Pentecost, 3,000 people died when the, when the Levites actually killed them. Um, with his, it's, I won't go into the whole story, but 3,000 died then and 3,000 were born again at Pentecost. Now the, the three... Remaining feast or fall feast, trumpets, day of atonement, tabernacles. Now trumpets, um, it's the first of the fall feast. Most believe this would coincide with the rapture of the church. It's always associated in scripture with loud trumpets. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, 1 Corinthians 15.52. You know, so these, this is the trumpet call 
to come up here. <laughs> this is the rapture of the church. The Day of Atonement points actually to the second coming of Christ. And Tabernacles, which we're covering right now, um, points to the Lord's promise that he will once again tabernacle with his people when he returns to reign over the world. So that statement, it is not yet my time to go to this feast. Uh, it, it's more along the lines of, it is not yet my time or not yet time to fulfill this feast. He goes to the feast. Maybe there's a, I'm sure there's a million mysteries in this as well, but he pops up and he arrives right in the middle of the feast. And we could probably go even deeper and, and study the timeline of it. Uh, but, and, and it says on the, I do know this much, and it, and it says on the very last day and the greatest day of the feast, he comes up and he says, I, and he makes those I am statements, right? Because that was the timeline when they would really come to the, to the greatest part of the feast where they make these great declarations and he does it and he does it about himself. And it's super powerful because here is Jesus fulfilling and stating that um, he is the tabernacle. He fulfills the he fulfills this feast. He is he will dwell amongst his people and he will be in their midst. And I like how it says he shows up in the middle and he shows up <laughs> he shows up in the middle of the timeline of the feast and he shows up right in the middle of the temple. And it, and it says that. Uh, at the end of the world, when Jesus comes to reign, um, I guess it's not the end of the world, it's the end of the age as we know it, and he comes to reign and there will be no more sun because he is the sun. He is the light. Um, he, is, he is everything. Um, and he is the center ruling from Jerusalem, the great king ruling upon his mountain, the centerpiece um, of a new age when he comes down to rule and reign. And that's what I like about tabernacles. He fulfills the old wilderness expectations, but he sets up a new expectation because it will be a new world. It'll be a new timeline. It'll be a new age when he comes to rule and reign. That's the tabernacles where he dwells among his people. But let us enjoy this time for we still, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And his power is here. His revival is here. There's so much to go through um, to get to that time where he dwells among his people. Um, but we have this wonderful age now uh, where the Spirit is in us. Um, and we operate and we live in his power. But it's going to be so much better. So much better in the age to come. But... Let us enjoy this moment, and this is the time where uh, we stand alongside um, good um, in this age of uh, of wickedness. I heard a there's so much going on here in Charlotte with just all these revivals going on and um, so much evangelism um, that's just kind of ramping up in this city. Um, but I, I'm reminded of something I heard the other day, and it's just a something I even taught on before, but um, Jesus' first miracle was the water into wine. And he saved the best for last. 
you save that best wine for last. So, yes, we can look forward to Jesus dwelling with us. Yes, we can look forward to the next age when he dwells among his people. But let's remember that um, he will pour out his spirit before then. And he will do mighty signs and wonders. There will be a harvest of souls we could never have seen. Yes, there will be more wickedness than the world has maybe ever seen again. Um, but it all advanced toward an end. And we can bear fruit up until then. Um, because God is going to do powerful and mighty things. Yeah. Yeah. Let us enjoy this time. Let us sow. Let us reap. Let us be harvesters in the field. And let him come when he comes. Yes, when he comes in the fall feast. And when the whistle blows. And when he comes to dwell among his people. Let him just tell his servants who are actively working the fields. Well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Please make sure to subscribe, like, review, or share your podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Check out the website, messagetokings.com, or feel free to contact us at messagetokings at gmail.com.